we're starting. You get to enjoy the first fruits of this, and we're going to be looking at the first three chapters of the book of Genesis for a series that I've titled, In the Beginning. If you've been with us for the last several weeks, though, you would know that we just concluded a series called Thriving Discipleship, where we're looking at the important values as us as a church that we hold on to, the importance of worshiping, the importance of connecting with each other, the importance of serving, and finally the importance of giving, and what those mean, really, as a disciple of Christ. So I encourage you that if you had uh, any need to just revisit or re-listen to those series, that you check out our podcast, and all you have to do is just type in Peace Community Church on any podcast, Spotify, Apple, Google, and you can subscribe to our podcast from there. So as I said, we're beginning a new series in the book of Genesis, so we'll be in Genesis chapter 1. Now, sometimes when I tell you to open up in the book of the Bible, I have to kind of help you along, but thankfully, this is going to be very easy. It's right there in the beginning. So, All you have to do is just open up the first few pages and you should be there fine. If you don't manage to find it, I think there is no help for you at this point. And uh, we'll just have to leave you at the mercy of our hands of our Savior. (laughs) If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes with me once more for a time of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for just this opportunity to open your word, to look at the beginning chapters, and specifically the first verse of this beautiful book you've entrusted us with, that you've given to us, called the Bible. And as we open up the canon of scripture, Lord, I just pray that you speak to us, Lord, that it wouldn't just be simple words being downloaded into our minds, but rather thoughts that challenge us, that shape us, that change us, that make us grateful for who you are and what you've done, and maybe even better said, what you continue to do in our lives. So we pray for that, Lord, in expectation that you would feed us today. Lord, give us eyes to see what you are doing and ears to hear what you are saying. And we ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, on December 21st, 1968, three men walked down a platform onto this little tiny capsule. And some of you might remember this moment because this was a special moment in history because these three men walked into this capsule and then they strapped themselves on and underneath them was a rocket that held a million pounds of fuel. This rocket maybe could be even understood as a bomb if it didn't work correctly, but thankfully it did. And beneath them was, at that time, one of the most incredible marvels of mechanical engineering that ever existed, the Saturn V rocket. And this rocket would propel them into space. And as they were jetting off from the platform, they continued to increase in speed. And these astronauts would have felt the gravitational pull on their bodies hitting up to four Gs. And the weight of it would have felt immense as their eyes began to focus in 
as gravity became enormous. As they were continuing to be propelled into the sky, they would have, around the 100-mile mark, reached a turning point where the sound outside of them would have cut off as air was no more, and therefore the sound waves of all of this rocket being bursting out wouldn't have been heard. And as they looked around in this moment, they would have seen what few had ever seen up into this point, and that was the advance of space and the beauty of earth. Their mission was to head over and see the moon, and specifically to look at the far side of the moon, something that no man up until that point had done. A project that wasn't planned but shifted in order to do this and experience sites that had never been seen before. It was a risky mission and in fact every single one of the astronauts' wives were told that your husband has a 50-50% chance of coming home. But yet these men still did this noble and daring exploration. As they would eventually travel 250,000 miles away from the earth, traveling up to 24,266 miles per hour. Let that sink in for any of you that travel a little heavy, right? You know, 66 miles per hour is pretty fast. Add a 200 plus another 24,000 on top of that. And that's how fast these guys were going in space. They would eventually pull out of the gravity of earth and make their way to the moon 250,000 miles away. By this time, it was Christmas Eve of 1968. And I'm sure some of you were small boys and girls experiencing this moment for the first time as the whole world was watching. You see, these astronauts were going to report back to Earth, and it was estimated that one billion people were tuning into this moment, something that had never happened before, the largest broadcast up until that point, with an estimated one-third of the world's population of that time listening in. The astronauts were given an additional mission at this point that they needed to report back to Earth and say something appropriate. Could you imagine in this day and age that task of say something appropriate, how difficult that would be? So thinking what could be appropriate in a time like this, they began to feel puzzled and debated what could be appropriate. Would they say something from a famous speech? Would they read something off of a philosophical manuscript or a biology textbook or what can we say until the idea was given to read from the book of Genesis. And I want you to listen to what was read at that moment as they were looking at the moon. I hope that all of you back on Earth can see what we mean when we say it's a rather foreboding horizon, a rather, rather dark and uh, unappetizing looking place. We're now going over, uh, approaching one of our future landings. 
we'll stop right there. And as they were looking at the moon and thinking of earth, they read this out loud from the King James Version of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the faces of the water. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the water, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven and evening, and the morning were the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and gathering together of the waters called seas, and God saw that it was good. You know, later, one of the astronauts reflecting upon this moment, Frank Borman, who was the ship's commander, said these words. The universe is too orderly, and it's too enormous not to have some sort of divine creation. I appreciate that even a man of science experience all of this can really even think that kind of way, especially in the world that we live in. Now, some of you might be asking, what is the importance of us taking on a topic like this, looking at the first few chapters of the book of Genesis, and you see, it really is this simple, that we as people need to be reminded of God's work in our lives, work in the world that we live in, and specifically the purpose of all of this. So in order to do that, we're going to be looking at the book of Genesis in these three chapters, and we're going to be hitting on four main themes, specifically creation, which is for today, humanity, the fall, and God's redemption plan. So we'll be looking at those items for today, but I want us to focus in on God's work of creation within the first chapter of the book of Genesis. So again, the first verse in Genesis has these famous words. And if you have your Bibles, you can read them aloud with me. And if not, I think we'll put them on the screen for you there. So read them aloud with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You see, something that's very important to know, that church tradition teaches us that this book of Genesis was written by none other than the person Moses. And what's interesting about that is it was written after a time of the Hebrew people exiting the land of Egypt. Specifically, they were under the thumb of Egyptians. And if you could put yourself into that world, then what you would understand 
end is, is that you had a whole group of people that were living in a foreign country that God called out of that country and was now giving them his word. You see, one of the important parts of understanding this is that, you see, for our modern day eyes, we oftentimes read the book of Genesis and we get lost in the debate of, did God create the earth in six literal days? Was it over epochs of time? Was it X, Y, and Z? And we get lost in these questions of How did God do it? And I'm not saying that some of those questions aren't important. I think they are, and they can be enjoyable to study. But you need to think about the people that were originally the listeners of this book. And you need to think about the fact that these people were steeped in with different cultural beliefs from the Egyptians and the neighboring communities that had crazy, and I'm not exaggerating there, beliefs on how we got here. I mean, beliefs that were grotesque on how we got here. Beliefs about how multiple gods through acts of violence created this world in total chaos. Beliefs that were sexual and made the world that we live in really random and chaotic and not at all from the hands of a loving God. Now, these Hebrew people would have been familiar with those stories. In fact, they would have been so familiar that some of them probably believed those stories, which is why every time Moses slipped away, the Hebrew people typically reverted back to some belief that they adopted from Egypt. So it is here that I believe Moses is trying to remind us of what the origins of this world looked like. And for many, it would have felt like an entire shift of thinking from realizing that the world was no longer flat, but round. It would have felt that dramatic for them to hear these words of God creating. So let's read some more, and I'll read now, and you can just listen. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good and separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. You see, from the moment of creation, the writer of of this book wants us to know and see what? That there is a creator God out there. That he created this earth, as we like to say, in this universe, as we like to say, ex nihilo, out of nothing. That God loved us enough to create a beginning that we experience now. And that it wasn't random. It wasn't chaotic. But that it was formed with intention. Now, some of you might be asking, well, pastor, 
I really do want to know if the earth was created in six literal days. And for this, I would say to you, if you are a strong believer in that and you want to convince somebody about that or convince me about that, take me out to a steak dinner and I will believe you. (laughs) And what I mean there is these, if you get hung up on that, I'm not saying it's wrong, but I am saying that you're missing the point. The point isn't necessarily a biology textbook. You see, so often we read scriptures with our 21st century eyes, and because of that, we want scripture to say and speak something that is an issue for us that might not have been the original intent of scripture at the time. Do I believe that God can do it in six days? Absolutely, I, I, I do. Did God do it in six days? I think we're all still trying to figure that out. Some of us more convinced than others. And you see, some of that comes from this idea of what does day mean within Scripture. And if you didn't know, the word used here for day comes from the Hebrew word yom. And some of you might, if you've studied this before, you've probably come to see this word. And this word yom within Scripture has a wide definitional use. Specifically, it can mean 24-hour literal days, but we also see within other portions of Scripture that this word yom does at times mean spans of time. It can even mean millenniums. So even here, we're not fully certain of whether it can mean a 24-hour literal day or epochs of time. But yet, regardless of that, the lesson that is being taught is that God is the creator. You see, it was a common belief within Egypt that there was a God for many things. Adam Ra was one of the gods, for instance, celebrated by the Egyptians as providing the sun. So much so that the sun was even a worshipped figure within their culture. So by God saying that he is the one that created what? Light. What is he saying? That I am above that God. That I am the creator of this this light that exists, and that light is a product of me, and it's not a person. See, God wants to be able to communicate to all people that he is the one that has put this into motion, which then means what for us? That we need to look to who to understand the world that we live in. We need to look to the Lord God for our understanding of how we even orient ourselves in this place. And I think here is where we can miss the point in the passages of Genesis. We need to see it instead as God creating and God providing. And it's why Genesis is incredibly poetic, where the first three days of creations end up reflecting the final three days of creation. You'll notice day one talks about the light, and day four talks about what? The lights again, the lesser light and the greater light. You see, the point of Genesis, in my opinion, 
is this simple idea that I'd like to share with you today, and that's this, that God created with purpose, and it was good. God created with purpose, and it was good. You see, that is a message that I believe that the Hebrew people needed to hear in that time, but that's a message that we also need to hear in our day and age. The reality is, is that many of us, we live in a world where meaning doesn't mean much anymore, right? Where most of us are taught, or at least encouraged to think that your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth, and what is truth? It becomes really hard to have hope if we don't know what to hope in. So much so that I think our younger generations are paying a price for that. We're now more than ever, we're seeing a rise within our children of anxiety, depression, self-harm, and so many other issues. Because whether we like to admit it or not, our culture has taken away the concepts of purpose and meaning and why we are here. Make no mistake, Darwinian evolution has added to that because if you are just a product of random chance, if you are just a product of some unguided process of survival of the fittest, then what does life really mean? You see, God wants us to know for ourselves that everything here is of a particular design. That he made this world that we inhabit. That there are things within this world that are beautiful and worth praising the Lord for. That there are experiences that we can have within this place that can brighten our lives and cause us to say, thank you, God, for your goodness. One of the things that I love as a father is getting to experience life through my children's eyes. And right now, my oldest son is three. He's going to be turning four in just a few months But right now, every single thing that he sees is new. And it's easy, even as a guy that's in my 30s right now, to look at the world and sometimes forget what it's like to see the wonder of creation through a child's eyes who's experiencing it for the first time. When my child sees a full moon, it shocks him. When my child sees a mountain, it amazes him and reminds him of how big certain things are. And yet for many of us, it could be lost. And we can forget just how wonderful this world is. And that when God made it, it was good. And we'll talk more in the the next few weeks how all of that went wrong as we obviously know it did. But what does that mean for each and every single one of us? 
Well, I like what John says in his first chapter, verse 3. This one's coming out of the King James this time. And he says this, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. God is the source through which all things come together. What does that do for you when you hear that? Does that maybe change how you think about what you have and what you experience? As Roger was making mention earlier, we should thank God in all things. And yes, it's true that we should not thank God for all things because there are some things here on this earth that aren't good that we experience, but yet there are still many things that we can thank God for. Amen? Are you living with the kind of posture in life that you are thanking God for the good things that you are experiencing, for the good things that you have, for the beauty of him bringing purpose into your life and into creation. I think Paul continues in this sentiment in Romans 1.20. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. What a humbling thought, right? That regardless if you've been here for 70 years or you were alive a thousand years ago, that we've all experienced, for the most part, the same earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Do you live with the understanding that when you look into the world, you get to see a part of who God is? who God is in the faces of other people, as we'll learn soon that we were made in his image, but also who God is in this order of creation and the way that things just harmoniously, when they're working well, play together. And do you praise your God for those kinds of things? And what do those kinds of things even teach us? I think it would be safe to say that it teaches us that God is still here in presence. And that if he makes purpose out of the world we live in, then he can make purpose out of the life we live. Amen? I want to continuously live with that kind of purpose. And do you, as a Christian, have the appreciative attitude of trusting in God's provision over your own life? That if he was powerful enough to be able to create this world in six days or a few billion, regardless, that God is powerful enough to make order of your life if he can make order of this universe, if he can knit all of these things together to work in a harmonious way so that we can even enjoy these beauties despite the sin that exists in this world, how much more can God knit together your life to bring purpose 
to bring harmony, to bring something to praise him for. You see, I want my life when others are viewing it for people to see the goodness of creation through me, to see the goodness of God through who I am. Because I believe that God has made me with a purpose and that God has made me to be good. And I want to live that out into this world so that I can be a representation of goodness to others. Hold on to the kind of perspective that allows you to preach that through word and deed through the way that you appreciate his created world, through the way that you remain thankful and hopeful over the purpose that God has given you in this life. Amen? I like this quote from A.W. Tozer. He writes this, God dwells in his creation and is everywhere indivisibly present in all his work. He is transcendent above all his works, even while he is imminent within them. And maybe for some of you hearing that, that sounds a little theological, and I'll admit it is. But what he's simply trying to say is that God is present in his creation. And I think we all need to live with that purpose that God created with purpose, and it was good. Amen? This week, I want each of us, as our form of application and challenge, to live with that kind of posture. You see, thankfulness is so important. Taking the time to recognize what is good is so important. It's why repeatedly within scripture, God wants us to take an account of the blessings that we have and to hold on to the things that are good. So I want you this week to practice that out, to take time to look at God's created world and to thank him for it. See, I believe that if you begin to Thank God for the world that we live in, the good that you can find for it, from it at least, that it starts to change the way that we perceive things around us. You see, it's so easy for us to live negative lives. What do I mean by that? Well, everything bothers us, right? I mean, you know those people. I oftentimes used to think that When you get older in age, you're either super happy or or super grumpy, and probably part of that is perspective. Well, train in yourself a perspective that finds the good, that praises the Lord for the good things that you have. And you see, God has made it easy for most of us because we live in this wonderful state called Colorado where we are blessed with a lot of good (laughs) Maybe we would feel a little bit differently if we lived in Arizona. I don't know. (laughs) But we live in this beautiful land of Colorado, and at least, and I think God has made it super easy for us 
take time to see the goodness of his creation and then praise him for it. And I believe that in doing that, in thanking God for the order and the creation that he's made in this earth, that in turn, it will change in you and create a sense of gratefulness and trust that if God can make all of this work, then he can make my life work and he can bring goodness in my own life. Will you do that for me this week? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the beauty of creation. We thank you, Lord, that we can look out into the world and as we were reminded by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans that your invisible qualities are made known to us through the world that you've created. I pray, Lord, that if there is anybody here today that has felt a sense of chaos in their life, that has felt a sense of disorder in their own experiences in life. I pray that you would remind them through this series and that you would remind them to today that you can bring order to that, that you are a God who creates and what you create is good and that you, through creation, have proven to us your goodness your order. Help us, Lord, to live with that kind of posture of appreciation where we can look out into the world and proclaim and praise the goodness of what you've given us, even in a fallen world. We look to you, Lord, to be the one that helps us bring order bring peace, and bring goodness into our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.